We'll grab your Bibles and turn to the book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 26. If you are using a pew Bible, which is awesome, uh, turn to page 448, 2 Chronicles 26 is where we will be this morning. If you were to go to uh, the New Testament books of James and 1 Peter, these two great disciples both quote the same proverb. It's Proverbs 3.34, and it's a proverb that we need to put into practice in our lives. It simply says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. It's one of those verses that just they rattle off the tongue without much thought. God opposes the proud, but give grace to the humble. But it's a verse that's very difficult to put into practice. Because we're proud people. I'm a proud person. You're a proud church. You should be proud. It's good to say I'm proud to be an American. It's good to take pride in our athletic teams. It's good to take pride in our community. Pride can be a positive attribute. But when taken too far, when we allow it to really grow and blossom in a very unhealthy way, pride can become a real problem for the follower of Jesus Christ. Why is pride a big deal? I think there's at least four reasons. We need to be careful when it comes to pride. Pride can lead us to seek recognition to exalt ourselves. We find ourselves wanting to build ourselves up. Pride allows us to treat others unfairly. Pride can cause us to accept no responsibility for wrongdoing. Do you know anybody like that? It's never their fault. They never do anything wrong. There's a problem. It's always somebody else's fault. Pride creates concern only with ourselves, and it can cause us to be oblivious to others and to to the needs of others and the concerns of others. Simply put, pride can and will destroy us spiritually, if allowed to grow and to blossom. I want to say that again because I want you to catch it. Pride can and will destroy us spiritually if allowed to grow and blossom. So think about a pride-o-meter. If you were to assess your life, and if you don't have much pride in your life, your meter's not going very far. But, it, but if pride's a real problem in your life, I mean, it's just going like this. It's ticking like that. As we go through this passage of Scripture today, As we look at the life of the ancient King Uzziah, I want you to consider in your life, if you are in the business world, if you are a student, if you're a stay-at-home mom, I want you to consider your pride-o-meter. Where are you at when it comes to pride? And is it healthy or is it unhealthy? Okay, let's get to 2 Chronicles chapter 26. I want to take you back to the mid-700 B.C.s. And I want to look at one of the kings of Judah, a king by the name of Uzziah. Uzziah was a unique king in that he became king at a very young age, and he reigned for over 50 years. And my guess is if we were being honest together, over half of you have never even heard of King Uzziah, which is kind of stunning if you think about it. So in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, the first couple verses, we see this account of King Uzziah. It says, Uzziah was 16 years old, When he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 52 years, his mother's name was Jechaliah. She was from Jerusalem. 
Uzziah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Amaziah had done. He sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. And as long as Uzziah sought the Lord, God gave him success. Are you a formula person? I'm kind of a formula person. Maybe it's because I'm married to a math teacher. I don't know why that is, but I'm kind of a formula person. And when I find a formula, and it's a good formula, and it brings me success, I want to follow that formula. Let me give you a formula that would work. Let's just say you want to lose weight. Let's just say that this week you want to lose five pounds. And if you are the average person and you want to lose five pounds this week, let me give you a formula how that would work, okay? Only drink water and eat vegetables this week. Don't do anything else. Run three miles every day. And, and, and more than likely, if you step on the scales a week from now, you will weigh less than you do today. Only vegetables and water. Run three miles a day. And if you don't have a heart attack, you will lose weight. That's a formula. Okay? Now, we're not going to do that for a couple weeks. But, but the point is this. That's a formula that would work. Let's say you're just an average student, and I know we don't have any average students here. We've got all above average students, straight A students, but let's say you're an average student and you want to do better in school. Let me give you a formula that would work to get better grades. Stop playing video games, go to bed at a good hour, actually do your homework, actually study for tests, and if you follow that formula, I guarantee you, you will be a better student. It's a formula that will work. Where am I going with this? Here's where I'm going with this. In this text that's on the screen, we see quite a formula. It's a pretty good formula. It's a formula that King Uzziah put into practice, and he found great success because of it. What's the formula? Here it is. Seek the Lord, learn and listen from a mentor, and fear the Lord. Seek the Lord, listen and learn from a mentor, and fear the Lord. That's the formula of King Uzziah's life. And we're going to see how much of his early reign as king of Judah, he found success after success after success. And I think it's because of this formula. And this is just kind of a side note. It's really not the focus of this message today, but that's a great formula for your life. It's a great formula for my life. What's on our to-do list for this week? Maybe if we spend a lot of time seeking God, and we found someone that's older and wiser in the faith than we are. And someone that walks humbly with the Lord. We just say, I, I want to have you pour into my life. I want to know more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And we live in fear of the Lord. This is in a healthy sense. It'd be positive, spiritually speaking, for most of us. Well, it certainly worked for King Uzziah. How, how did it work for King Uzziah? The first way that this formula worked for King Uzziah was that King Uzziah found great success in war leading to significant territory expansion. Look at verses 6 through 8 of our text, and we're going to see how he found success in war leading to significant territory expansion. It says that Uzziah went to war against the Philistines, and he broke down the walls of Gath, Jebna, and Ashdod. Then he rebuilt the towns near Ashdod and elsewhere among the Philistines. God helped him against the Philistines, against the Arabs who lived in Gerbaal, and against the Meunites. The Ammonites brought tribute to Uzziah, and his fame spread as far as the border of Egypt because he had become very powerful. Understand, 
God's people really peaked as a nation about 930 BC when Solomon's reign ended. When David was king, when Solomon was king, it was awesome to be part of God's people. It was great. Everyone in the world was looking at them, saying, they are a blessed people. They are a chosen people. Their God must be an awesome God. But for the next couple hundred years following the end of Solomon's reign, it wasn't very good. A lot more bad than good. And during that time, God's people always seemed to be pedaling backwards. God's people always seemed to be struggling. Other nations, other armies would come in and oppress them. Their land occupation seemed to lessen. But here in the middle of this, we read of King Uzziah 150 years after the reign of Solomon, and God's people are growing in terms of war. They're winning. Foreign people are coming and paying tribute to Uzziah and God's people. Why? It could be because he sought the Lord, and he was listening and learning from his mentor. And he was fearing the Lord. But that's not the only way that Uzziah was blessed. Not only did he find success uh, at war, secondly, King Uzziah found great success at home, domestically, through building projects and agricultural development. Judah finds itself able to trade. Look at verses 9 and 10. It says, Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate, at the valley gate, and at the angle of the wall, and he fortified them. He also built towers in the desert and dug many cisterns, because he had much livestock in the foothills and in the plains. He had people working in his fields and vineyards in the hills and in the fertile lands, for Uzziah loved the soil. Not only was he a good wartime king, he did well at home as well. He did well domestically. He took care of the land. He made sure that God's people became established as an agricultural giant. Now, if we had a president like that today who had this on his resume, I'm getting it done at war and I'm getting it done at home, we'd rally behind someone like that. We'd say that's someone worthy of following after. Uzziah is getting it done for the Lord. Verse 10 says that he loved the soil. This tells me that Uzziah wasn't just a power-hungry, let's-go-to-war kind of guy. He wanted to make sure that things were good on the home front as well. And then finally, Uzziah found great success in building up the military, which was important for national security in the mid-700s B.C. I'm not going to read all of verses 11 through 15, I'm not going to go down that road, but here's what I want you to understand. He took an army, he took a military that was okay, and he really established them as a cutting-edge army. He helped develop all kinds of weapons and, and armory so that they were able to protect themselves, so that they were able to fend themselves off. You may say, does that matter? Well, it mattered in the mid-700 B.C. Because in the mid-700 B.C. time frame, The nation of Assyria was all around, and they were mean, and they were brutal, and they were awful, and they would eventually destroy the northern kingdom of Israel. And Uzziah is proactive here. 
Uzziah is making sure that his people can withstand the mighty Assyrian. In fact, this is more than you probably want to know. If you went back and read through some of the Assyrian texts of their day, King Uzziah is mentioned during the reign of the Assyrian king, this is a, a mouthful, Tiglath-Pileser III. He actually mentions Uzziah and how impressed he was with his military structure and how he was impressed with what all he had put into place. Wouldn't it be cool if right here, right now, I could just end this sermon, we could pray and go to lunch, because that was the end of the story. Wouldn't that be great? Greg Coyne says, yes, let's go. But, but we can't do it, because we're only halfway through the chapter. See, there's a reason many of you have never heard of King Uzziah. It's because even though his life was on fire for the Lord early, even though his reign was magical in many ways, he didn't end well. And verse 15 gives us an inside look to why. See, everything King Uzziah touches seems to be turning to gold. He's seeking the Lord. He's following his mentor. He's living in the fear of the Lord. How could you go wrong? How could you fail? Well, look at the last part of verse 15. It says, Uzziah's fame spread far and wide. For he was greatly helped until he became powerful. He was greatly helped until he became powerful. I don't like that verse. I don't enjoy reading that. I wanted to say something like, he was greatly helped because he became powerful. He was greatly helped while he became powerful. But that's not what it says. It says he was greatly helped until he became powerful. In the very next verse, verse 16, after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord his God, and he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Now, that's a benign enough verse, isn't it? I mean, the guy wanted to burn incense. I mean, I don't think we've ever burned incense here dur during a worship service, at least that I've been a part of. I know some of you come from a church background where maybe burning incense is a part of a, a regular worship ritual or at least a, a, a worship gathering at some point during the year. It's not a big thing around here. And you may say, does it matter who burns the incense? And the answer is, it mattered to God in the mid-700 B.C., See, if you were to grab your Bible this afternoon and turn to Exodus chapter 20 or Numbers chapter 18, you would find out that only the priests were allowed to burn incense at the altar of incense during time of worship. Only the priests. You may say, why? I, I don't know. That's God's plan. It's God's way. God said it. God's people were supposed to follow it. Did Uzziah not know? I don't think so. Remember, he spent a lot of time with his mentor, Zechariah the priest. Did he not care? I think there's a very good chance that that's the deal. See, I think there's a little bit of Uzziah in each and every one of us, if we're really being honest with ourselves. A little bit of Uzziah, when, when we look at a, a life circumstance, or we look at a life situation, or we look at a happening, and we say, well, I know God's word says this, but does it really matter? 
Is it really a big deal? Can I have any fun at all? Does it really matter how I live? Uzziah, in verse 16, allowed his fall to become a reality simply because of his pride. And what happens next is nothing short of tragic. Verse 17 says that Azariah the priest and 80 other courageous priests of the Lord followed Uzziah in the temple. They confronted him and said, It is not right for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. That is for the priests, the descendants of Aaron, who've been consecrated to burn incense. Leave the sanctuary, for you've been unfaithful, and you will not be honored by the Lord God. Everything Uzziah has done up to this point has been two thumbs up. He's doing great things in the name of the Lord. Now he has 81 priests rebuking him. He has 81 priests saying, you're wrong. You need to repent. You need to put down that incense burner and you need to walk out of the temple because you are way out of line. By the way, that takes a special kind of courage, doesn't it, for the priest to do that to the king? It really does. But when something's true, it's true. And when we're called to stand for truth, we're called to stand for truth. That's a lesson for us in 2015 as well. How do you think Uzziah responded? He said, yeah, you're right. I forgot about Exodus 20. I forgot about Leviticus 18, Numbers 18. You're right. I'm wrong. No, that's not what happened. Verse 19, Uzziah becomes angry. He had a censer in his hand. He was ready to burn incense. And while he was raging at the priests in their presence before the incense altar in the Lord's temple, leprosy broke out on his forehead. When Azariah, the chief priest, and all the other priests looked at him, they saw that he had leprosy on his forehead. So they hurried him out of the temple. Indeed, Uzziah himself was eager to leave because the Lord had afflicted him. Pride, confrontation, anger. How dare you rebuke me? I'm the king. How dare you tell me I can't burn incense? I'm the king. How dare you throw Exodus 30 or Numbers 18 or any other scripture for that matter at me? I'm the king. And the next thing you know, leprosy all over his face. Leprosy all over his body. You know, when we hear leprosy in 2015, we don't really get a clear picture of the tragedy that it presented in 750 B.C. See, when we hear skin condition, what do we think? Well, we'll just go to a dermatologist, right? We'll just get some medicine and maybe pop a couple pills and everything will be fine. But that's not how it played out in 740, 750, 760 B.C. When you were leprous, your life was over. Because of pride, because he didn't listen to the rebuke, because of anger, here were the consequences for King Uzziah. He had leprosy for the rest of his life. He was forced to live in separation from the people. Can you imagine being the king but not being able to be around your people? Your people could never see you. What kind of a king could you be? And maybe the most tragic consequence of all, when he died, he wasn't even able to be buried in the tombs of the kings. 
he had to be buried in a field near the tombs of kings because he was leprous. If you read through Chronicles, if you read through Kings, after every king, they give you a footnote of their life and they say, you know, David was buried with his fathers in the tombs of kings. Or so-and-so was buried with his fathers in the tombs of kings. Not Uzziah. Uzziah was buried in a field near the tombs of kings because he had leprosy. On track for greatness and pride led to his downfall. So let me ask you, is there a little bit of King Uzziah in your life? Are you susceptible like Uzziah was susceptible? I want to tell you a story of a friend, a good friend. Did ministry with him for many years, uh, led weeks of camp together for many years. And he woke up this morning where he will wake up every morning for the next 22, 23 years as an inmate at a federal prison on the East Coast. He did some pretty bad things, and he's going to pay for them for many, many years. You may say, how, how does that happen? How does that happen to a youth minister? I, I can't explain it. But I can tell you I know him, and I love him, and it's heartbreaking. In the midst of his transition to federal prison, he actually spent some time in the jail here at Clinton. And I had the opportunity to visit with him on several occasions. And I have to confess, the first time I visited with him, I didn't know what to say. I was nervous. I was anxious. There's a little bit of me that was angry. Hurt. Offended. And so I just asked him, well, what happened? What went wrong? He said, you're never going to believe it. He ministered in a town a little smaller than Clinton. And in that town, the Wiccans planned to come to town. Some of you probably know this account. It's pretty high profile. The Wiccans wanted to come to town and start a school in that community. And he, as a minister in that community, led the charge against the Wiccans. And they won. The Wiccans went elsewhere. My friend was interviewed on the television. My friend was quoted on the front page of the Chicago Tribune. The front page of the Chicago Tribune. A lot of fame. A lot of prestige. And he said it was during that period of time that he believed without a shadow of a doubt he was spiritually attacked. And he said, instead of getting down on my knees every night, I'm praying, God, save me, God help me, God protect me, keep evil from me. But I started believing the clippings. He said, before long, I started doing things I'd never done before. I'd never dreamed of doing before. And he looked me through the glass, telephone in hand, and he said, pride led to my downfall. You may say, that's a pretty extreme situation and it is but we are all susceptible to king uzziah moments if we're not careful so where's your pride-o-meter this morning bottom line god opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble is this a life verse for you or just another 
silly proverb. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I'm going to close our sermon time a little differently than we normally do. And this is going to seem weird maybe for some of us, but that's okay. Weird can be good. So close your eyes, please. Close your eyes and bow your heads. And um, I'm going to ask you three questions. And I want you to pray over these three questions. And as I'm doing this, I'm going to ask Samuel and the team to come. And we're going to transition right into our, our, our song of invitation. But I want to ask you first and foremost to honestly assess your life. Are there areas in your life where trouble could be brewing? And pride may well be at the center of the issue. Pray over that for a moment. Secondly, when you find success in life, who gets the credit? Who gets the glory? Do you find yourself with chest puffed out saying, hey, look at me? Or do you find yourself saying, praise God, from whom all blessings flow? And say, thank you, God, for the opportunity to serve. And finally, are you open to honest conversations about where pride may be running out of control in your life? Nobody wants a Second Chronicles 26 chapter written in our life story. God opposes the proud. It gives absolute grace mercy to the humble. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. And God, I confess pride's a problem. I confess there's times that it is all about me. I confess I need more humility in my life. And so, Father, for these next several minutes, we just pray that your Holy Spirit would work on our lives and our hearts. That we would be a people who would always be humble. Who would always be thankful like a little kid on Christmas morning at the wonderful gift of grace. And that we'd be willing to acknowledge that anything that happens to us that's a blessing, any success we find in life, not about us it's all about you we love you so much it's in your name that we pray